0: The following is a conversation between Peter Tavernisi, the executive director of the Cisco Foundation, and Denver Frederick, the host of the Business of Giving. The Cisco Foundation teams with nonprofit and non-governmental organizations around the world to develop technology-based solutions. The focus of this work is on underserved communities, and they're always looking to harness the power of the internet and communications technology. And here to discuss that and some of their other work is Peter Tavernisi the executive director of the Cisco Foundation. Welcome to the Business of Giving, Peter. Thanks for having me. Let me begin, Peter, by asking you about Cisco's corporate social responsibility and social impact philosophy. What are the pillars of that?
1: So I'll speak mainly to the work that my team does. But overarching, we're really about, as a company, building the inclusive future through the internet. And our team, The foundation and what we call Cisco public benefit investment, which is the corporate cash and corporate product grants. Is really if you can think of us like a venture philanthropy approach to earliest stage nonprofit ideas that are it based that serve the underserved. Which means at least 65% for instance of students in a given school are on free and reduced lunch or in regions where people are making between a dollar a day and $3 a day to support those nonprofit IT-based solutions to proof of concept, initial scale, and then at the scaling point, we are able to exit. And what we do is tend to build capacity for the nonprofit partners in two areas. In addition to the cash and product support around the grant itself is to help them understand what are nonprofit impact metrics and why should they care? Something I've been passionate about from the beginning of my career, even as a nonprofit fundraiser. And second, what does a sustainability plan look like for the way that their nonprofit uniquely operates? So in some of the economic empowerment work that we do, there is an earned income aspect to their strategy. In others, it may be just the diverse portfolio of fundraising support with volunteerism, individual donations, corporate cash, corporate donations, foundations, and then government assistance, again, depending on where they are in the world, what they do. So overall, we know that we're successful when, for instance, one of our economic empowerment organizations gets a $10 million grant from MasterCard. They don't need our measly $75,000 to $100,000 grants anymore. What we're told over and over again by our nonprofit partners is that we're one of the very few, and I think we're one of only three or so, organizations that are willing to fund at the very pointy tip of that IT nonprofit sphere. Many organizations are glad to support things that have been proven and are scaling, but you can think of it as risk capital in that early stage IT area. And that's yeah. where we play and that's our value add.
0: That's absolutely great. You take a chance on them, and then what you do is you set them up for a good future after you leave. Cisco's engaged in quite a number of social good initiatives, and there were five, Peter, that caught my eye and I wanted to ask you about. The first is access to opportunity and how that can change lives and change communities. And one of the ways you do that is through the Cisco Networking Academy. I can't think of a more timely initiative. Tell us about it.
1: Well, it's timely now, just like it was in the earliest years of the internet. I joined Cisco right at the apogee of the go-go 90s. And the story as it was told to me then was that a couple of engineers were helping to install some networking gear at a school that had been donated. And they were trying to get the teachers to understand how it worked and to kind of babysit that wiring rack. And the teachers honestly just didn't have time. They were overstressed with their regular duties at the school, but they could not keep the kids out of the wiring closet. So problem, opportunity, I said, well, let's come up with a really brief curriculum to see if we can help these kids understand how the internet works and basic routing and switching, and then they can be the ones babysitting the network here at the school. And that actually grew into a program that served over 12.6 million people to date. And this past FY20, we've served over 2.3 million people worldwide. I think we've got networking academies in more countries than we have field sales offices But if you consider, I think Kramer and Porter have written us up in terms of an example of shared value, of course, it's great for Cisco's business in the sense that we can't sell into an economy where that skill set doesn't exist, but it also helps people gain livelihood and it's completely agnostic as to where the networking gear comes from for networks that any particular person would be running.
0: And you provide this best of class curriculum
1: with your partners. You do that all for free, correct? That's correct. If you think about it from in-kind value terms, I think last fiscal year, it was something like 315 million in total in-kind value worldwide. So that's putting the foundation perspective. Our foundation budget is just $13 million a year, including matching gifts. So it really is our the main ring of the circus, the main show, but we'll talk about some other things that have made the foundation more prominent in recent years.
0: Well, the third thing that caught my eye is, as you mentioned earlier, Cisco's committed to positively impacting a billion people by 2025. Part of that work, you seek to inspire and empower a generation of global problem solvers through an aptly named program called Cisco Global Problem Solver Challenge. How does that challenge work?
1: So that's about $350,000 in annual prizes that is for students and recent graduates who are either in for-profit or non social enterprises where they're seeking to provide solutions to the world's most pressing social and environmental challenges. I was a judge the last couple of years and we just finished the, the cycle this past month or so and have announced the winners but we just saw some phenomenal in terms of innovation ideas that were from all over the world and I think there's at least 20 different countries involved but a significant number of the runner-ups in India for instance just a ton of really amazing thinking and it's frankly inspiring we see a lot of these types of things with our nonprofit partners but to get this breadth of for-profit social enterprise ideas as well ranging from aquaculture to refrigeration for dairy spoilage prevention in Africa there were at least five proposals that had to do with internet of things helping to create more resilience for bee colonies, which we know are like absolutely integral and vital to our food chain worldwide. So it's uh, just very encouraging and heartening given everything else that's going on in the world to see these incredibly inspiring folks and know that each one of them is a set of young people that have taken the bull by the horns and are trying to provide solutions to the world's most pressing problems.
0: Yeah, and that solar powered milk chiller that you just mentioned, they were the winners, correct? That's right. Savannah Circuit Tech, I think, from Nairobi. The fourth thing is homelessness and affordable housing. Boy, those are significant issues across the country and perhaps no more pronounced than they are in the Bay Area. And to that end, you have a five-year partnership with Destination Home. Tell us about the work you're doing together.
1: Sure, that takes a bit of turning on the Wayback Machine. So a few years ago, Chuck, our CEO, literally had a dream about some friends of his that they love dearly being homeless. So he got on the phone with the local San Jose mayor and said, look, who can I talk to so I can learn more about this? And without hesitation, he said, talk to Jen Loving. Jen is the leader of Destination Home, which is a public private partnership with a 10 year track record in terms of essentially herding the cats countywide here in Santa Clara County. They had just helped to pass a close to a billion dollar bond referendum that was specifically earmarked for affordable housing development. So when she met with Chuck, she was able to say, look, we've been working on this for 10 years. I've got all of these different stakeholders to the table, which is half the battle. We have done needs assessment and we understand exactly what the costs are of keeping people on the street. It's far more costly to keep people on the street than it is to house them. And we have a plan for how we would house them using this bond money and if we can get some private money and also the regular affordable housing development tax credits that already exist for the state and the feds. Chuck was pretty blown away. And I think right there and then at the the dinner table that they were sharing, committed the $50 million and we've been strong partners with them since then. It's been an incredible public policy bath. I will tell you, it's not an area that we had gotten into the policy and advocacy side of with the work that we had been doing previously although we had worked with other homeless services providers over the years especially working on folks that were helping with veterans homelessness and getting to net zero veterans homeless for instance so what makes the destination home partnership different is that it's focusing on three different aspects one is that supportive housing development if you look at many of the municipalities in santa clara county For years, they've had mandates to build affordable housing, but the actual number that they have built and some of them was like as few as 40 units, honestly. So part one is let's just increase the amount of available resources to get these things locked in and get the, the shovel ready projects moving forward. So if you consider the private capital that we've donated here becomes the bridge between any given deal that's going to need to be locked in and the money that comes from the county referendum. So that's part one. Part two is looking at what Cisco does best and what we described earlier. How can we work with the homeless service providers in the region to help build up their capacity from an IT standpoint? So one of the first things that Destination Home did with our funds for this category was fund a needs-based assessment to understand where are they now and where could they be? And we've then been engaging an outside contractor to build the capacity, for instance, of Sacred Heart here locally to, for instance, all of their computers, the average age was between five to eight years. And none of them were running on the same as There was like horrific security and other issues and networking was spotty. And you could only print if you carried your laptop into the break room, that type of thing. So we're looking to scale that to other homeless services agencies across the county over the next couple of years. The final is prevention. It is way cheaper by orders of magnitude to prevent someone from becoming homeless in the first place than it is to get them back into housing. So these are short-term donations of anywhere between a couple of hundreds to a couple of thousand dollars that can keep people in their homes and or help them repair their car so they can get to their employment and therefore keep their residence. So those three together have attracted other funding. I think Apple has also donated $50 million to this effort, and there are other folks also involved in terms of supporting this over time.
0: What's the level of concern out there around homelessness right now in the wake of COVID and people losing their jobs, this economic
1: disruption? Are you beginning to see things in that realm? Pretty instantaneously after the stay-at-home order, we began to see that being an issue, and Destination Home led the charge for a wide range of organizations, including Silicon Valley Community Foundation, to raise emergency capital. And I think we donated about 15.9 million to that effort, including Destination Home, Covenant House, Mercy Corps and others in terms of helping with those who might become homeless through this crisis. So it was not just a response to Santa Clara County, but a wider response, certainly with some of the temporary eviction stays expiring, we're gonna see more of that, unfortunately. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely, across the country.
0: Next, in times of disaster response and resiliency, Peter, you work closely with NetHope and Cisco TacOps. Give us a sense of that relationship and what you all do together.
1: Sure, let me start with NetHope. So when I had just joined Cisco in that 99, 2000, 2001 era, I wasn't actually here in the San Jose office then, but I heard the story of when Save the Children came to our CSR team and said, look, you, know, you guys are amazing. We really appreciate all your help. We are getting killed in satellite broadband charges in all the areas that we work around the world. For instance, in Africa, could be up to $5,000 a month. Can you help us? We said, well, we're actually not satellite broadband providers, but let's take a look at this. Why solve this problem just for you, Save the Children? Why not? create an aggregated need collective bargaining approach. So they created a membership organization of the CTOs of the Global Aid and Conservation NGOs, which is now known as NetHope.org. And they were able to do that collective need and collective bargaining approach to the satellite providers and others. And that was just one of the very first wins. One of the second things they did was to create what was euphemistically called a backpack solution, but was really a a set of very large and heavy pelican cases back then that would allow them to deploy to any particular emergency region and very quickly create that satellite up down link and then the wide area network access that would allow NGOs to do the work that they do. That has shrunk over time as miniaturization has increased and that's where I would say it's good to began to mention the partnership with Cisco's own tactical operations team known as TACOPS. So these are the folks that gamely will jump at the drop of a hat onto a C-130 and fly out to respond to say the Typhoon Haiyan or the Haiti earthquake or to the Puerto Rico post-hurricane situation. And in Puerto Rico, they were co-deployed with NetHope for more than three months in rotating groups because of course it's really difficult conditions to be working under. But they were able to restore, I think, close to a hundred different of what the Puerto Rican government had identified as their most vital communication nodes for their network. And they've done the similar things with the previously known as the migration route, but the refugee camps in Serbia, Slovenia, and Greece, and more recently with Venezuelan refugee camps in Colombia. So the Ebola response was another. Example where they were more remotely providing wireless networking to some of the clinics that were responding and during COVID they've been assisting with many different deployments, but it's all virtual in the sense that It's not safe for them to go physically and wire up these things, but they're still providing the gear to These NGOs. So just as an example, after the Haiti earthquake, they were able to restore communications within 48 hours for more than 18 of the NGOs there. And the NGOs, of course, can't do what they do if they don't have that connectivity. Yeah. So yeah. again, this is an example of the, the first question you asked me is Cisco CSR philosophy. It's always looking for where can we provide our greatest value add, which is that internet piece in whatever context we're working in.
0: And one other note on disaster response. You also have a partnership with Mercy Corps. What
1: do you do with them? So we're in a 10 million dollar five-year partnership with them to essentially look at what would, like with Sacred Heart and the homeless services aspect, what would it be like if we brought to bear all of what Cisco knows about networking together with all of what Mercy Corps knows about global aid and development? So we have, for instance, outfitted I think almost every one of their offices with Meraki gear. Mm -hmm. The top of the line from the Cisco side And also, importantly, exactly what they can use in the field to better manage their networks remotely and directly at a price point that is sustainable for them. And then we're working on many other initiatives that have to do with building their capacity in some of their particular program focus areas, like how do you identify in a way that guards the identity of a particular individual or family, but using potentially biometrics or some sort of debit card type of situation so that we can reduce the fraud and the the replication or the misappropriation of some of the resources that go out in the field to folks in various situations like refugee or post-disaster. You wanna be sure that each family is getting what they need and deserve, but not more than that or less than that, frankly. And so these have been challenges that they've had historically in the field and is often just reduced to paper-based vouchers which can be bought and sold and that wind up maybe not being as efficient.
0: Yeah, so many issues around that, particularly trying to balance security with privacy. Finally, Cisco supports the causes that your employees care about, both through matching donations and your Time to Give program.
1: Fill us in on those. Sure. Time to Give is essentially 40 hours of additional PTO per year for all of our employees worldwide. That's five days. That's a lot. Yeah. So you just go into your PTO tool and take your eight hours and go and volunteer. It doesn't need to be used for a few hours here and there. Obviously we all do that at our own discretion and we do our day jobs and just make it fit. But it's to make sure that folks have the ability to go and for instance, volunteer a day with their church groups or their kids' schools or the nonprofits. I know that a lot of folks are doing animal rescue and other things. And also for some of the, for instance, the DIRT teams that are with TACOPS, we'll be able to use that when they co-deploy as volunteers with the TACOPS employees. Then in terms of matching, this is something that, one of my favorite things to talk about, our three issue focus areas for the foundation of critical human needs, food, shelter, water, and disaster response, the education, mostly K-8 STEM, and economic empowerment were originally based on the giving patterns of our employees in our matching program. So that gives you a sense of where their focus is. I, in fact, came in thinking, yeah, we really need an environment category, even back in the early 2000s, but those areas were where the employees were giving. So for much of my time at Cisco, we had $1,000 per employee per year for volunteering matching and then for their cash grant matching. In the past couple of years, we were able to increase that to $10,000 per person per year for both volunteering and for cash grant matching in just the last few months, we were able to increase that to $25,000 per employee per year worldwide. And the employees have really been responding to all the various disasters. I think we've been well over the approved budget for the foundation for the past (laughs) couple of years with the trustees' approval because the employees have been so incredibly generous. I think last year we had up to eight simultaneous aid campaigns for the first time. And this year we have just seven for COVID alone, and then we have for various hurricanes and obviously for the fires right now, also giving campaigns with that matching limit for everybody.
0: Yeah, I think the world is well beyond its allocation of disasters the last couple of years. They've been coming fast and they've been coming furious. As a former English major now working in a high-tech IT company, share with us, Peter, a little bit about your background and how you think it has served you in your current role.
1: Sure. I always describe myself as an accidental techie. I don't actually know why it happened the way that it did. But in the earliest days of the Internet, I got involved with a group of people which were called the circuit riders, working with groups like nonprofit technology assistance providers and power. So we would go to conferences and speak to audiences of three to five hundred executive directors and say, this is the Internet. This is a Web page. Any questions like how many of you in an audience of three hundred? have an email address and five people would raise their hand so as that kind of advocate i had an initial experience working as an advisory committee member at the z smith reynolds foundation in north carolina yeah and that was a two-year program to help them understand how to grant technology in a way that it didn't turn out to be a doorstop they literally visited some nonprofits where they had bought computers six months after a grant and they were just literally still in boxes and holding a door open yeah Like a treadmill, you put your clothes on or something like that. Right. So part of what we learned was if you don't pay for the change management and the training, which could be 30 to 300% of the cost of the hardware, you're not going to get the technology adoption. If you don't, for instance, make sure that you get the buy-in of the folks at the front desk, Mm -hmm. you're not going to get the the buy-in across the entire organization. So with that, I went to Cisco, again, at the earliest days of the Apogee, the GoGo 90s, and the mandate was, please use all of the assets and resources of this company to transform the nonprofit sector through the use of the internet. So it was an incredible moment. Yeah. Uh, then the tech downturn hit, and I was able to stay with the company under the auspices of what was called the Cisco Community Leadership Fellows, and I worked with North Carolina Public Allies for a year helped to do some fundraising with them and then came back and moved out here. And it's never been the same day twice. I recall vividly telling my nonprofit professional friends from my first career as a fundraiser, "If I'm still here five years from now, come kick me in the butt because I've been here too long. But this really has been an extraordinary Archimedean point from which to help move the world and in my core passion, which is that intersection between nonprofits and technology.
0: Yeah, well, if you're having impact and you're having leverage, why move on? Finally, Peter, let me ask you about the three major crises of the moment and how the Cisco Foundation is responding, starting with COVID-19.
1: Yeah, and I would say that it's not so much the foundation in this case as the company. Um, Mm -hmm. The company initially provided over 225000000 in million in-kind services, most of which was making WebEx and other services free for those initial months of the COVID stay at home worldwide. We've also donated over $51 million in cash grant and in-kind contributions to the various nonprofit partners that are focusing on meeting these critical human needs during the crisis. So that includes that 15.9 million that I mentioned about mm-hmm. Homelessness for destination home covenant house, mercy core. We also gave 7.4 million to feeding America, the food bank of central and Eastern North Carolina, second harvest food bank of Santa Clara and Replate in order to help their efforts around food insecurity and hunger, which is something that we've been working with Feeding America national network on for almost two decades now. And then other cash and PPE donations to direct relief, World Health Organization, Americares, first responders, children's foundation and others. So obviously a lot of people are making a lot of amazing donations and providing support. So it's not just Cisco, but we're happy to do the pieces that we've been able to do.
0: Yeah, you have a multifaceted effort. The second thing would be racial injustice. What's your work in
1: that arena? Yeah, we launched the Fighting Racism and Discrimination Fund actually some months before the uprisings recently, but we currently have 16 organizations in that, and we've raised over $502,000 of total impacts, including the employee donations Matt. and match. And Cisco has made other donations in that area as well. So, I know that there's a lot of work being done in companies around the world on this, and stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. More to come.
0: And finally, and this one's a little bit more specific to you the wildfires that are just
1: ravaging California and, and all of the West. And I would just say to anybody that's been sitting in the smoke as we have for weeks that sending empathy and support, and we're all in this one together. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did launch a California and West Coast fires campaign with our nonprofit partners, including the Red Cross, and we're continuing to look at, for instance, the recent hurricane in the Louisiana area, and now the one that's currently there that's doing the slow march across the Southeast. So as I said, with an unprecedented number of simultaneous campaigns right now, I think we're at 10 simultaneous campaigns, including the fires and the hurricanes
0: there's a lot to respond to and you have certainly been responsive thanks peter if anyone should be interested in learning more about the work of the cisco foundation where can they go to find out about it
1: just csr.cisco.com and or you can google the cisco foundation we're glad to also have folks self qualify we've got a self qualifying quiz and all sorts of information on our website about our current grantee partners with micro documentaries about many of them so you can get a sense of what we talk about when we say IT-based solutions serving the underserved.
0: Great. It was a real pleasure to have you on the program, Peter.
1: Likewise. Thanks for having me.